Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. This is episode 43, and joining me on today's show is strength coach Adam Willis. Before being a strength coach, Adam used to be a prison officer for the UK Prison Service. And after trying and failing to be a personal trainer on his first attempt, then went on and trained with some of the top US strength coaches. Just before we go into the episode guide, I just want to let you know that we had some technical difficulties and lost the first six minutes of the episode. So we missed some of Adam's background, but I hope you enjoy the remainder of the episode. Uh, so yeah, I was I was working in the prison service, and uh, my friend sent me over a video from from Joe DeFranco, who's a very well known strength coach in the US. And um, when I saw Joe's video, it it kind of lit a fire inside me as to what I wanted to do within the industry. And the reason I always relate this to other students when I've worked with them in the, in the past, coming through the qualification, is that I believe that I failed the first time because I didn't have a clear and defined direction and belief in a certain system and approach of training. When I saw what Joe was doing, I knew that's what I wanted to pursue. So I then spent the next in the next few years whilst I was in the prison service studying strength training, strength conditioning, those kind of elements. And uh, then I spent my final paycheck from the prison service going over to New Jersey and learning from him in person, which was a, a fantastic experience. Came back, started my own business again, uh, fully self-employed, and um, yeah, that was 2012, and that kind of built in person in a gym environment. And then 2015, uh, I decided to kind of go online as well. I've been in the yeah. online space ever since, really. And then when I moved from the south of the UK to the north, um, I shut down my in-person business and kind of went fully, uh, fully online. So I've been probably fully online since 2018, and um, yeah. yeah, kind of. Never looked, never looked back since, really. And um, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting almost two decades. And um, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a fun progression. And um, yeah, it's a it's a career that I, I'm very thankful to have, and one that I knew from a very young age that I wanted to get into. Yeah, I mean that's fast- that's fantastic when you, you know, when you can discover your passion and follow your passion. Um, I think a lot of people talk about that, but very few people actually manage to um, achieve it. So just going back a step, when you started your first business then, um, when you you tried uh, personal training for the first time, what do you think it was that you hadn't got clearly defined? Because, you know, we, we see a lot of this in gyms. There's a lot of PTs out there. But do you think it was just a case of you went into to personal training because you enjoyed fitness and PT was just the, the you felt the right route? Or I think so. The advice that we would always give the students when they came through our assessment and we were we were teaching them was that our vision for them once they finished the personal training course was for them to go and work for someone and get a paycheck for eighteen months to two years, so they could just learn how to do it. And um, Mike Boyle has a, has a great analogy. He talks about cooks and chefs. And yeah. essentially, cooks follow recipes and chefs create recipes. And when you're a new trainer, you need to be a cook. You need to put in your time following other people's recipes to understand what works, why it works, and to, and to run that through with your clients. And there's nothing wrong with that. And as you do that, and as you progress and become more confident with them, you start sprinkling sprinkling in a few of your own things, and then you gradually become a chef. I think when I was young, I wasn't doing enough stuff as a cook. I was trying right. to create training programs and training, you know, training sessions as a chef, and I didn't have the skill set, the knowledge, or the filter at the time. And because when you're young in the industry or when you're new in the industry, everything looks shiny and excellent. Yeah. And you just try and yeah. put everything into it, and you don't have a filter of like, that's not going to work for that client or this is just a fad. It's not going to hang around. You don't have that. Yeah. And that's why when you 
as a cook, you work through things, you start to see, okay, this works for this reason. And, oh, I can see how this links A, B, and C. Yeah. And you start to piece. And then when you start to experiment and build in these other things, you can see what works and what doesn't because you already know the thing that you had beforehand. The recipe you had to start with worked because you've done it enough as a cook to know that. So yeah. then you can see whether those pieces you're sprinkling in actually have a positive or negative effect. And I told a lot of trainers try to rush to be a chef. And I just explained right. to them, like, it's because we think we shouldn't be cooks because it's copying. And we, yeah. and I'm like, how do you think it, you can get better faster if you go and follow someone's program? It's not that you're going to go yeah. sell. You don't buy someone's 12-week program off the internet and then sell it as your own because that is bad and that's fraudulent. But there's nothing yeah. wrong with reading Mike Boyle's book and looking at how he structures a 12-week training phase, taking that structure and then adjusting it for the client in front of you. And that's yeah. how we learn. And that's what I think I didn't have to start with. And I didn't, right. I didn't necessarily have a clear direction for my own learning as well, which is what I think the seeing Joe DeFranco stuff gave me. And then the longer I kind of stayed on that pursuit, I started yeah. to come across the, the right work and education that gave me a, a good enough filter that I kind of ended up where I am now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's an important um, point and a distinction to make. And that is, you know, this that is the the reason that I started Fitter Healthier Dad was because, um, you know, I used to see there was lots of of cooks, but but you know, in the gym, I'm working with with guys my age, but they didn't. Whilst they had all the right ingredients. They were maybe, you know, to use this analogy of, of cook and chef, they they weren't putting all of the ingredients into the recipe and they didn't really know what they wanted it to look like when it came out the other side. And that for me was a, was a huge frustration. And, and all I've done is taken what I've learned and applied that basically um, to the guys that I work, work with. And I only specifically work with guys in their 40s who are parents because, you know, I understand that that part of it. But but coming into to obviously the interview today and the discussions that you and I had pre um, pre the podcast, you know, there, there's a very big problem that I see um, in in the space that I work in, and that is is, is injuries. So traditionally, there, there's two types of guys that come that you know that start to look at their health and fitness. There's guys that are perhaps done it when they were either pre responsibilities, pre marriage, pre kids. Or there are guys that have just never done anything before and have decided they've got to the age of 40 and they don't really like the outcome uh, and they want to change it. But the, the, the biggest problem is, and I think this is where kind of ego and male testosterone and all the rest of it comes in, is that they go into to, to it all guns blazing, full of enthusiasm and motivation and actually end up in probably i would argue a worse position than when they started and what i mean by that is 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 injuries and so what what would be really good from from my perspective and the listeners adam is if you could kind of give us your theory behind that and then some some advice and tips and stuff like that that you feel that that guys who are coming to this from either not done it for a long time or just completely cold should consider before they go in all guns blazing yeah i mean those those two are the those two people they like kind of mentioned the, the pre-responsibility and the newbies i actually think yeah. it's easier to manage a newbie because they're a clean slate whereas the right. the pre-responsibility person often they come from you know they, some sort of either a sporting background or they've they've done lifting or something before and the issue is is they have a reference point that they probably can't touch anymore like a training volume or training loads or exercises they used to do, but they think that they're the same person because they theoretically are. They're just a few more miles down the road. And yeah. they're the ones that usually want to jump straight back into things. And I usually put down people's biggest mistakes that come into like either doing too much too soon, too much too often, or too much for too long. And right. when you do either of those three, if you do too much too soon, you're just going to break down. Those are, for me, those are the people that they are January resolution people. They're the people that are <laughs> yeah. they're all in. They're, they're going to try and train 10 times in 12 days in the first two weeks of January. And it's yeah. just too much too soon. They, they can't 
they can't maintain it. Their body might be, they just can't maintain that schedule. And if they were to continue with it, their body would likely break down anyway. You have the people yeah. that do again too much too often. They're the people that tell you that they always train six days per week, but they haven't really seen any results probably in the last couple of years. Nice. And then the people that do too much for too long, they're the people that do the same program over and over again, or runners are a really good example of this. The person that is always does, you know, X amount of mileage per week, yeah. every week yeah. for the last three years. And it's just, it needs to undulate. And it's the same as like the person that always goes in and lifts to a max every session or the person that does the same thing. Mm. If you're doing either of those three, that you're just going to come to a, a stalling point in some regard. And the likelihood for injury is pretty high for all of those. And yeah, that's the, that's always the challenge is holding people back a little bit. And yeah. that's, that's the hardest thing as a coach. We want that enthusiasm. Yeah. We want the person to come in fired up to, to train, to lift, to run, whatever it is. Like we want that enthusiasm, but to kind of say to them like, Hey, that's, that's really great. Like we've done three sets of that. We don't need to do five and we don't need to have really short yeah. rest, cut, rest periods and those kind of things. And it's getting people to understand, I usually try and relate it to kind of walking before people run or even like you can yeah. back, backtrack it to you crawl and then you run, then you walk and then you walk and you jump and yeah. you jump and then you run. So you, you, you kind of, you kind of build these things uh, into that. And I think it's, it's looking and explaining to people that we, we really want to start with a minimal effective dose, which, yeah. which is really hard for people to kind of understand. It's like, we, we're just going to do enough that we move the needle forward yeah. 1%. And because 1% we can recover from, and then we can add another 1% yeah. the next session because you can go in and you might, you might be able to jump 10% in one session, but you're not doing that consistently. And what did that 10% jump have a knock on effect then into the second session, third session, fourth session of that week. And yeah, it's, it's a hard lesson to learn. I mean, I wish I could train at the same level that I did when I was 19, but my body just won't recover yeah. from that. So no. I actually emailed, so I had an email conversation with um, someone yesterday and explained that most people can only really go hard twice a week and yeah. you can train more than that, but you've got to yeah. undulate the stress that you're putting on the body. You can't, yeah. you, know, you can go hard twice. You can probably go moderate once and maybe you do one or two easy sessions that are a little bit yeah. more recovery based or more low end aerobic stuff. Um, and it's starting to understand building in it from that nature. But um, mm. yeah, I mean, looking at the, the kind of the pre-responsibilities newbies, really it's starting to, and the one thing that online training has taught me probably more so than when I was in person is to kind of have people at a progression level, almost one behind where you think they can be. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, let, let's say you think that the client, the person can do a, a barbell front squat. Well, maybe for this phase, we're going to have them do like a goblet squat or a, or a double kettlebell front squat just yeah. because we, with 100% certainty, we know they can nail that. Yeah. Whereas maybe we're 90 to 95% certain they could do the barbell front squat. Mm-hmm. And again, sometimes that's the challenge with these clients, probably more so with the pre-responsibility people because they, they, used to bar, they used to barbell back squat. And it's like, we'll get you there, but we, we don't want to jump yeah. straight to there. We need to kind of rebuild this foundation and rebuild this base. And um, I always like, you know, Louis, Louis Simmons is a Westside barbell. I mean, he always refers to, you know, a, a, the point of a pyramid is only as high as its base. And yeah. I think that's the one thing newbies are really good because we can build that base. We usually just have to yeah. kind of control them a little bit more, but the, the pre-responsibility people, they kind of already think they have that base and they can just go straight back mm. to the peak. So it's yeah. Just slowing people down and, and getting people to revisit good movement to start with. And yeah, the reason I say that online coaching has taught me more about staying that one progression behind is because I'm not there in real time. And right. that's why I choose what I'm 100% certain that person can do. If I was there in person, I probably would give them the barbell front squat. If we use the, the example I just gave because I'm there to coach them. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. but I'm not there online in real time. So I go with what I can with 100% certainty know they can do. And um, yeah. yeah, I think that's really the key is just getting people to be, be okay and understanding the progression, um, 
I had Drew Massey, who's a strength coach in Tennessee on, and, and he was talking about having standards. So when you can achieve, I think he said like three sets of 10 in a goblet squat with half your body weight, then you progress yep. to the next, the next level of squat. And, okay. and I think there's a lot of value in that, um, particularly with yep. the populations he works with. It allows people to kind of understand that, okay, this is where I'm at for now. And when I achieve something, I can move forward. Um, it's made a little bit harder in gyms and also with social media that people see what everyone else is doing. Social media is everyone's highlight reel and they see it yeah. and they think, well, I see this person on Instagram who's back squatting, you know, 100, 150 kilos. I want to be back squatting 150 kilos when yeah. they can't goblet squat half their body weight yet. So yeah, that I think is makes life harder for a coach. But again, I think it's, it's educating them, getting to understand the process of just good movement to start with. I think them understanding that the body, the body doesn't really understand what a barbell is. It just understands <laughs> stress. And what yeah. we're doing in the gym is essentially stress, physically stressing the body so that it adapts and and develops in a particular in a particular way depending on the stress we're applying to it. Well, we can yeah. with a squat. We keep with that with that example. I could do it with a barbell. I could do it with kettlebells. I can do it with a landmine. I can do it with a sandbag. I could yeah. do it with a weight vest. There's so many ways that I can do it, and I can load in different ways to challenge yeah. different structures and, and find the best squat variation for you. And that's the the other piece that people don't realize is that like there's usually a variation that is right for you. Yeah, but everyone has a perception of what's what's best and yeah it's like i haven't back squatted since probably 2015 and my body feels right. a lot better for it so i typically front squat or i search yeah. or i'll double kettlebell front squat um yeah i haven't really deadlifted with a straight bar from the floor in about the same time period but i trap bar deadlift my body right. feels better for it i'm six foot seven with ridiculously long legs so it's finding right. that that uh, that level and I, again that's another thing that it's a little bit easier with a newbie. Like you've just got to talk them round from what they see on social media. Whereas that, yeah. that pre responsibility person probably was doing certain exercises before you came along and they just, yeah. that, well, I used to do it, but there may be a better way. Exactly. <laughs> that's the, that's always the yeah. challenge. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think, yeah, everything you've, you said, yeah, really resonates. I think um, one of the biggest challenges that, that you see is that, when people are enthusiastic and they do see the the physical um, and the psychological and the, all the rest of the benefits that come with, you know, exercise in general, they know that they can do more. So they want to do more. Yeah. And actually, you know, it's, this is something that I've struggled. It's realizing that actually a lot of your gains will come from your downtime, from your rest time. Um and so, you know, going hard all the time, as you quite rightly said, is not the, is not the answer. The, the other thing that I want to kind of question you on, um, Adam, is what is your view when you have either a newbie or someone that's coming from, from not doing it for a long time? What, what's your view on their functional, their, their mobility before you kind of start pushing them? Is that something that you advocate you, what they work on or you work on with them? Uh, so, if you'd have asked me maybe three years ago, I'd have told you that I would do you know, some foam rolling, self-myofascial release. We're going to do a lot of the stuff from you know Kelly Starrett's Supple Leopard book and all these different yeah. things. Well, since then, I've started to learn a little bit more about breathing and neurology. And right. the example that I always give to people is that if I was to put them under anesthetic right now and move them around, they would have perfect mobility unless there's yeah. like a huge buildup of scar tissue or they've had, you know, metal structures put in their body for whatever reason. So th the issue a lot of times isn't mobility. It's what our neurology is limiting. And if we okay. use the other, the other example that the um, hypermobility isn't a mobility issue, it's a neurology issue. So right. the body isn't essentially, um, the off switch that most people would have to stop them getting to a certain point, that signals a little bit later uh, when it comes to people with hypermobility. So it's not that I, I don't address it, but I fail all table tests 
when done, when done on me. But if you have me then go and do certain breathing drills, I pass them all. Yeah. Other than my right ankle, which is full of scar tissue. So okay. really then I didn't do any mobility work. I just breathed and I reset myself. And suddenly I got all my, my, my mobility back. So often what I'm going to have people do when they, when they look at their warmups is I want to get them starting to breathe right in certain yeah. positions. Usually I start with them lying on their back, hip and knees at 90 degrees okay. and their feet resting on something. And I'm trying to get them yeah. to, to breathe correctly just to, to kind of reset them. And there's a few other positions that I'll use. And then I will use some other mobilities like, um, I'm looking like a you know, hip flexor stretch or a few others for maybe like the pecs and the lats, but I will also combine that with breathing as well. Yeah. Because I can make a faster impact. Like there's people you could stretch for 10 minutes and not make a huge impact. You could have someone breathe yeah. for two and suddenly they get everything back. So mm. that's where I've kind of changed a lot of my perception um, okay. in the last couple of years. So it's not that it's not worthwhile, I'm just looking as like, how can I get you ready to train in the best, most yeah. effective and fastest way so we're not warming up for 30 minutes? Because I often say that yeah. if you've got to spend 30 minutes getting ready for your session or getting ready to squat, you shouldn't be squatting yeah. right now. <laughs> your body's not ready for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I will have them certainly address that, and I'm gonna, I will do some, some very basic um, assessments when people come on board with me. Um, kind of 80% of the most people's problems are the same. So the warm-up's going to be very right. similar. And then I'm going to utilize um, a couple other warm-up drills and maybe some of the lifting stuff that we do to start to get them into positions um, to access or produce certain training responses that I want their advantageous for us to move forward to, say, like another progression, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. So I think around the breathing side of things, that this is something that I probably only discovered in the last year or so. Um, and it's mainly come from practicing yoga. Um, and like you say, it, it's very interesting because when you first start a yoga practice, as a, as a male uh, with a big ego or an ego, whatever you want to call it, you know, instantly you think that you can just stretch just by moving your body. But actually what you realize is that, you know, the movement comes from, you know, deep breathing and expelling and, and stuff like that. And then you can actually get into the positions that, you know, the practice is dictating or whatever. So so breath work is, is a protocol that I now follow on a daily basis. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think it's very valid and it's 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 one which um, yeah, I think it's is gaining more traction now. Um in terms of its its exposure, and I think it's it's a good place to be. Um, you know, I really am against, and you will probably be able to add the science to this. I'm really against people just trying to, you know, put uh, bend over from the hips and trying to touch their toes and pushing themselves and all the rest of it because I think I believe, you know, that that can lead to to, to injury. Um, and and the other thing is 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 people's form. You know, you, you see it, obviously you don't necessarily see it when you're online and, and you're, you know, people are doing workouts from home. But when you go into a gym environment, you do see it so often. But what I will say is that it's very difficult if you're training on your own or without a partner for, for, for you know, for, for you to detect that your form is wrong um, or is going to lead to injury. And time and time again, you see people putting t way too much weight on when if they just corrected their form, they would actually get more benefit from lesser weight. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the, the form side of things is usually one of two things. It's like they either can't delay, delay, uh, delay gratification, so they're trying to pile more weight yeah. on. And then again, we go back to the kind of that, that pre-responsibility client. So oh, I used to be able to yeah. squat 100, 100 so let's, yeah. let's just like whack that on as fast as we can over the next couple yeah. of weeks. Or they just don't know any better. And some people really don't know how their body moves. And that's sometimes the challenge is, is getting people to understand. And it's, you know, my, my little boy's 18 months old and he understands how to squat and how to hinge and how to do all these. Yeah. He doesn't have to be taught that. But over time, we, we forget. And we forget how to load, you know, when people say, my knees hurt squatting. It's like, we know, 
squatting is not bad. The way you do it is bad. And yeah. when people say, oh, my lo- I feel my lower back loads when I deadlift. I'm like, it's the way you're doing it. And yeah, people see exercises, whether it's YouTube or social media and, and all the other, and, and, or even for someone in the gym. And unless it's something like um, weightlifting, a snatch, clean and jerk, for the most part, it looks pretty simple. Oh, so a deadlift, I kind yeah. of walk up, I kind of squat down, and I stand up with it. And it's so, well, mm. it kind of, but, but not quite. And, and, yeah. and that's the problem is that the, it's very easy to go and do, but it takes a little bit of time to do well. And you just have to be patient. And sometimes it gets missed, whether it's you know through comparison or – and this is why there's so much value in getting a coach. And people often want to know, like, what's the, what's the best way I can do to, to help my technique? If I go and have some personal training sessions or hire a coach. Yeah, definitely. Like, if you're worried yeah. about it, like, that's the best thing you can do. And even if you go to that person – because I think sometimes people think, well, if I have a personal trainer, they're going to want to work with me for ages. Like, if you go to them and say – Hey, like what, what sort of deals do you do? Like I'm, I'm looking for someone who's, I just want to get these techniques down. I want to be able to squat. I want to be able to deadlift. I want to be able to, you know, bench press. I want to do things without injuring myself. How many sessions do you think I need to be able to do that? And and most will be accommodating. Like you're being very clear in the expectations of what that person's being hired for. And yeah, I, I think there is, there's so much value to that. And that, we all look for fast. We always look for ways to fast track our progression. Absolutely. And the fastest way for you to fast track your progression and results is to have a coach. Whether that's from a technical yeah. standpoint, whether that's from a programming standpoint, that's what's that's the secret sauce. That's the that's yeah. that miracle pill that everyone's looking for. Is a coach. If you want to lose weight faster, get a coach that's going to do your nutrition. You know, yeah. work out for your nutrition. And that's really the challenge. And men are a little bit hard. I always. Predominantly, I work with uh, a lot of females, and people say, well, how, how come? And I'm like, well, I liken it to the fact that men won't ask for directions in a car. Why would they do <laughs> yeah. it in an even more masculine environment like a gym? Yeah. So yeah. I, that's kind of always been my analogy of it. It's just, it's, uh, yeah. it, it's harder, I think, for, for men to admit they can't do something that maybe they perceive as manly, like lifting weight. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. But that's that's the best way to... To, to lift with good form and some people say, Oh, you know, I try and look in a mirror and it's like the mirror doesn't really show you yeah. anything. And if you have to turn side on or let, you know, deadlift the, the, the key where people look forward and like you, well, you can't see anything looking forward into a mirror for a deadlift form. Um, yeah. And so it's, it, the mirror is good, but what you, you just, you really want to get to a position whereby you feel the movement, you feel you're loading the structures correctly. You feel the right muscles being used you're not feeling anything that is untoward or later in the day or the next day just like oh my my knees really hurt like if you're lifting right that shouldn't happen so yeah that's that's really the key it's like have a coach have someone look at your form i I know a lot of people like to go and utilize youtube and stuff for for technique videos and, and they can be really good but you again goes back to you might not know what you don't know so Although you Absolutely, think you're yeah. doing exactly what you saw in that video, you might not even be close. So yeah, that's, that's really the challenge. And that's what I said. The, the, the coach is the, the fastest way that you can get results. Yeah, definitely. Because I think what, you know, as you've pointed out, whilst YouTube and all the rest of it is good, if you don't know what good mm-hmm. technique is like, you, you can watch as many YouTube videos as you like. You're not going to be able to implement it. And then secondly, you know, like you said, you know, you can look in the mirror, but you're not necessarily going to see the full range of the exercise when you're doing it and you're not going to realize. Um, so in terms of now that, you know, doing online stuff, Adam, how do you manage that with, with clients in terms of making sure that they're getting this nailed? Sure. So, uh, the first thing I'm going to ask clients, obviously I, I do a, a very kind of basic movement assessment and, I try not to send them, say, send me these 10 movements because yeah. if I, you know, I get about five and then I'm able to go, okay, well, if I see a th- anything untoward, I'll ask for a couple more. So typically I'm going to look at yeah. something to look at the hips and I just use the, the FMS's active straight leg raise. I look at the, uh, the internal external rotation again from the FMS and then I'll look at a goblet squat, a Romanian deadlift and usually a push up or hand elevated push up. 
And yeah. the reason I use those is because the, the first two, just give me an idea of what's going on with the hips and shoulders. Um, it, it's a hard one. You kind of have to look at those and not try to assess. You're just looking for any discrepancies left to right. And the FMS has you score essentially from one to three, three being perfect, one being you know, the, not, not very good and two kind of being in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And what I'm looking for is, you know, I'm not trying to get you to a three either. So if you're a, if you're a two and a two, like I'm cool with that. I'm not, I'm not really going to try and get you to a three. I don't, that's yeah. not really the, the, what's needed here. The goblet squat just shows me, and, and I'll let the person choose whatever, whatever weight they feel comfortable with. Um, mm-hmm. The goblet just, the goblet squat just shows me, like show me 10 reps of your squat form. I want to see kind of five from the front, five from the side. So I can just check form from there before I go and put anything like a barbell on you. Um, right. And then the Romanian deadlift for me is a true hinge. The deadlift is kind of, the deadlift is essentially a leg press from the floor to your knees and then a Romanian deadlift from your knees to your hips. Right. So the first thing I want to make sure is that you know how to hinge and you're not squatting your deadlift, which is why a lot of people feel their back when they deadlift is because they're, they're squatting it and not hinging it. So, again, I'll have people usually, you know, whatever weight you want to put on a barbell or dumbbells, just show me a Romanian deadlift. Um, I don't – I send them a video of me doing it. I don't with – right. with a few coaching points, but I try not to coach it. I want to, I want yeah. to see where they're currently at, not – where they're at in terms of following my instruction. At this okay. point. Uh, and then the push-up and the push-up just shows me, well, one, can you do push-ups in, in whatever form, whether it's from the floor or hands elevated. And it also gives yeah. me an idea of, do you understand how to brace your, your core in terms of your rib cage and pelvis and hold tension and be able to move it through space? Essentially it's a push-up as a moving plank. So that's yeah. what I'm going to use for those. And it just allows me to kind of make some very basic evaluations because like, I don't want to make anything super complex and really awkward for people to try and film. Uh, for the most part, they can do, the, you know, a lot of these, three of them can certainly be done at home. The other two, they do need yeah. to go to a gym for, which makes, it makes it a little bit easier, the access to, to getting this stuff done. There's less of a barrier, which mm-hmm. when you work with, I predominantly work with people that maybe have about 18 months of training experience or, you know, relatively new, maybe not hugely confident in the gym. I want to make that barrier really low to be able to kind of get them training. And it just allows me to make some assumptions. And programming essentially is educated guesswork. And the longer you work with a client, it becomes less guesswork because you know how they respond very well to training. Yeah, yeah. Once I have those, like I said, I try and choose variations that I'm very confident that they can knock out of the park and be be spot on with. And I'm probably going to give them a few tweaks. And then I will ask for technique videos to be recorded and sent to me. That okay. That first month, um, we're focusing on what is going to be either their their goal lifts that they you know if they come to me and they want to do a certain you know squats or whatever, or what I consider their primary lifts, which is usually going to be a squat, a hinge, and a push variation. And I want to make sure we nail those, and then the accessory work. If I think there's anything super complex, which there isn't likely to be in, in terms of when they first come on board with me. But if I think I might want to see like a split squat or something like that, just to see how they balance weight unilaterally, uh, I'm going to ask for those. But again, I try and keep those videos down to a few because a lot of people don't feel confident off the bat recording in a gym. Um, no. And I just want to kind of the, – the, the first phase that most people go through with me, I'm 100% confident that they can do everything in it. Um, and it's that for me is just a case of like making sure that they are who I think they are before we go into yep. the next phase, which is, I won't say where are they properly start. They're going to get a really good training effect in phase one, but it's to set them yep. up for phase two, for phase three, and from that. So, they, yeah, they send me through through videos. And then for me, like I have a lot of contact with my clients, and often I have more clients than, more contact per week than most PTs do with their, with their clients in person. So they're going to hear from me once during the week. Um, I'll, I'll just check in with them. Anyway, they have access to me from phone and email as much as they want. They have to audio note yep. update each week. They send me videos of their of their lifting each week. And they also have the ability to book in for, for call slots as well. So there's a lot of contact yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's building trust. It's getting to understand the person. 
how they respond, getting good feedback from them. Um, and, and that really becomes that secret. That's why that first phase is something I know they can knock out of the park because I need to understand how they recover, what they're, yeah. what they're currently like in terms of you know likes, dislikes, what their life is like outside of that. Because you can't really gauge all of that yeah. in that first interview. I might understand that they, they have a partner, they have kids, this is their job. Yeah. But I don't know where those other barriers are that creep in. You know, is, do they, does their hours get extended every so often? Is it more project-based whereby one month is crazy, other months are a bit easier? Have I got someone who's a student yeah. who's got exams coming up? Yeah. That's always, it takes a bit of time to build that rapport and get to know. So that's always the, the feeling out process as an online coach. And it's the same as if you're in person, you're having these conversations while they're in the session. I'm just having them outside of the session. Yeah. I, I think that's so important to ha- to understand all areas of their life because, you know, ultimately that can impact the results that they're going to get from their training. Particularly, you know, it, it, like you said, if you've got someone who's project based, you might realise that you know they're going to be stressed for that period of training, and so therefore, do they need to be really stressed in training? Their cortisol levels might be elevated, um, and that might not be ideal for them. So I think, um, yeah, understanding that the, all the stuff that goes on around the periphery is particularly important. You know, when you've got kids as well and, and you might have to adapt that training um, schedule for, for that week or a couple of weeks because of children, I think it's very, very important. So in terms of some of the, the key or, or, or recommended strength exercises, you would recommend, you know, uh, making the assumption that we're starting from scratch or restarting after a, a, a length of time. It, it, do you have like a baseline set of exercises you start people on or is it really down to the individual? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is going to be kind of previous training experience, but if they're a, if they're a newbie, then I'm going to start them at what I would consider a level that I know they can can manage and I've and I'm always going to kind of look at a, they kind of have primary lift which will usually as mentioned be some sort of squat some sort of hinge and a push variation and the squat variation starting out depending on their experience coming in and how they move is likely to be a goblet squat um, a double kettlebell front rack squat but again that's always usually dependent on the gym having kettlebells and then having doubles which yeah. a lot of gyms in the UK don't um, and yeah. then if it's not that option and then maybe they're okay with the goblet squat, it'll either be a front squat or a zercher squat. And to be fair, majority of my clients, either front squat or zercher squat, most people typically yeah. move better with that anterior okay. loading. Most people don't barbell squat very, uh, barbell back squat very well. And, um, putting the, the bar in front of them for a front squat or a, or a zercher tends to work better from a hinge variation. They usually, again, going back, if the UK had heavier kettlebells, I would have them probably start with a kettlebell deadlift or a kettlebell RDL. But a lot of okay. So I would typically start them with an RDL. So we'll start hips to just below the knee. Uh, yeah. The next progression for me would then be a rack pull. So essentially it's the same range of motion, but they're starting from just below the knee and standing up with it rather than mm-hmm. it's easier to load the hinge top down then starting from the bottom, breaking inertia and standing up. And then we'll gradually progress to the floor if they have the capacity to do so. But they're either going to start with an RDL or a Romanian deadlift or a, or a rack pull. From a yeah. press variation, uh, I don't typically have people press overhead with barbells, um, mainly because the shoulder assessments that I see, most people's shoulders are slightly different. And kettlebells, dumbbells tend to be a slightly nice, so, or, or landmines, uh, tend to be better and I typically will like more of that unilateral approach for, for shoulder pressing so the press variation will usually start with either push-ups or yeah. if they have have been training in the past in a bench press again I do predominantly with females and females don't bench press a lot so I will typically start them with push-ups and a lot of them have push-up based goals um, so that's where I'm going to start with those and then other basic movements are going to be focused around you know if we look at Dan John's key movement patterns, it's the, the squat, the hinge, the push, the pull, the uh, lunging or stepping, and then usually loaded carries, core work. So they are going to look at things like split squats, walking lunges, step-ups. Um, pulling variations will usually be like a TRX or a gym ring row, um, okay. yeah. chest-supported row. So I like the, the chest-supported row because at this stage, I'm trying to build their hinge 
to make sure. I always yeah. want to have a strong RDL before I ask them to hold a bent over row position because it's the same thing. Right. Um, so we're going to look at those, maybe a seated cable row. Um, and then when it comes to, say, vertical pulling, a lot of my clients want to achieve chin-ups. So I'll usually put them through a phase initially starting off with things like lat pull-downs and straight arm pull-downs before we go to eccentric okay. only chin-ups to gradually start to yep. build towards that goal. And then I'm a huge fan of carries when it comes to core work. So we're going to do um, okay. farmer's walks, uh, suitcase walks, so essentially a single-arm farmer walk, um, potentially some uh, rack walks so the kettlebells held up by the collarbones. And then when it comes to the core side of things, I typically take like a layered approach to the core. So I start with what are considered anti-extension movements. So they're movements that stop you extending at the lumbar spine. So your plank variations, dead bugs, um, if they have the capacity, maybe like a hollow body hold, I'm going to start there. And then the next phase, I'll layer in what would be considered anti-lateral flexion. So they're the, yeah. essentially you're resisting bending to the side. So side planks, uh, suitcase holds, uh, which essentially is you're right. holding a dumbbell by your side, which is sounds easy, yeah. but it's surprisingly hard. Then the next phase, we would look to build in the third layer, which is uh, anti-rotation movements. So the ability to brace and resist movement trying to rotate you to left and right. So that's where right. we have like our, our pile-off presses or even something like a, a plank with a kettlebell drag where you drag the kettlebell underneath you. That's an anti-rotation yeah. exercise. So I always start them with the anti-extension because I want to build that solid base first because if you can't resist extension, you're going to struggle to do the other ones well. So I kind mm. of layer those in um, and, and gradually build that up through those things. And then depending on their goals, they may have some, some finishes, some cardio work. Um, it just depends on how many days per week they're training and, and goals right. for that. But that's kind of where I start most people at and the, the groups that I'm choosing from when it comes to exercise selection. Yeah, I mean, that sounds very, very comprehensive and, um, yeah, very detailed. And I think um, – yeah, like you, you've already said earlier on in the interview, you know, there's no way that somebody could actually do that effectively just by doing some, some stuff online. You know, you need a proper coach to be able to assess you. And I think that, for me, is the key thing, right? So uh, assessing the, the individual as to where they're at before they start so that you can start them, you know, on the right platform um with the right exercises and like you just said as well understanding how many days a week that they're actually um able to train so before we finish up then adam what do you think are the five key takeaways that the um listeners could take away today to you know start and maybe pre prevent um injury if they're if they're start, starting afresh sure i think uh, as you mentioned like getting a coach to help you with your form is going to be the key. Like your, your form being right is is the best failsafe you have for, for not getting injured. Yeah. Um, I think it, it sounds really cliche, but starting where you're at is the most important yeah. thing. And, and that's, that's really easy as a beginner to understand because beginners will usually tell you, like, yeah, I'm a beginner. Um, whereas, yeah. like you said, you've got those, those pre-responsibility, the ex-athlete, the, the people that haven't lifted for three years, yeah. Your starting point now is very different to where you used to be, and you kind of have to be okay with that. Um, yeah. Minimal effective dose. I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there talking about minimal effective dose and uh, maximal recoverable uh, volume. Minimal effective dose is where most people should be at right now, particularly the population that, that you deal with, the, the 40 plus. Um, yeah. like we, we just need to sprinkle that in because you can recover from – that one percent progression and yeah. be okay with you know three sets of 10 just because you could maybe do five sets of 10 like three sets of 10 is good enough for you to be at right now maybe you go three sets of 10 you add weight next week maybe you can go the same weight yeah. but you go four sets of 10 the following week so this small progression minimal effective doses is, is the great place to start and then that leads into that next point of just we we only need to make small incremental progression just something yeah. not not everything needs to leap forward every training session it might just be that right. two of your exercises increase in sets the rest of them increase in weight it might be yeah. a tempo change it might be 
you know, we don't need to make these huge jumps and you don't need to jump five, 10 kilos at a time. Just add right. those 1.25s to the barbell. Yeah. Um, I, I can't, I do kind of like the rep variation approach. So essentially like three sets of eight to 10. So you don't get to progress yeah. the load until you've achieved three sets of 10 and then your next progression. So let's say you went from 10 keys to 10 kilos to 12 kilos. Well, maybe the next week you do a 10, nine, eight. Will you stay at that? 12 kilos until you do 10 10 10 so yeah. it's just that small yeah. progression and and i think that's really the key uh yeah i think that's me at four so that the fifth one would be like be okay, be okay delaying gratification like yes yeah. everyone everyone wants to test everyone wants to see if they can still do something everyone wants to yeah i, I, was, I was joking with a friend of mine i said oh i can't wait for this weekend when all my clients check in and tell me that they had to run 5k because someone nominated them i'm like no no you chose to run 5k because someone nominated you um and it's and and that's one example like people go in and you know you'll be in week three of a training program with them and they're like yeah i went in and tested my one rm it's like but we're only three weeks into the program yeah i I wanted to see if it was working it's like yeah well if you'd have waited 12 weeks we'd have smashed your old one rm like you're not going to see an and it's that ability to delay gratification. And even now in, in the age that we live in with social media, that ability to delay FOMO, that fear of missing out. And yeah. it's huge. And I think, especially with strength training, too many people test and don't build their strength. Yeah, Like you, you need yeah. to take time. I mean, typically I test maybe twice a year. Um, right. So I'm going through at least a minimum of 16-week training before I'll test, but usually 24, 20 to 24 weeks of training right. before I'll, I'll test again. And that's the, you need to have this, this ability to kind of go through phases where we, we rebuild a base and then you start to gradually yeah. build to that peak again, if we use that pyramid analogy, but no one wants yeah. to do that because they want to make sure that exactly. something's working. And, exactly. And that that's really the, the key for me. It's like be, be okay with delaying gratification because there is a rhyme and a reason if I program for people, there's a rhyme and a reason behind everything in the program. There's a progression that we're taking to get you to absolutely obliterate your your goal and your you know the previous one RM or whatever we're working towards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just got to be okay with trusting the process, going along for the journey, and being okay with delaying gratification enough to be able to get to that point where we're going to do that test mm. or we're going to you know. And it's easy with people that have. There are people that want to run the London Marathon. Well, you know when the test is. Yeah. And most people don't want to go and do a London Marathon test before before doing it. So that's a little bit easier. But it, it's when, yeah, you've got people that want to do that or, uh, you know, they've got other influences around them, friends and stuff like that. It, it becomes more challenging. But yeah, delay gratification is a huge one. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, the ana- analogy that I use is the Amazon economy, right? So we click it now and we want, we want the result in 24 hours. Mm. Um, and to get it, you know, to get a consistent, um, well, to be consistent and to get the result, like you say, you, you have to be okay with going through the process and it not being a linear, um, pro- process as well um to 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 get the outcome you want so yeah definitely adam it's been amazing talking to you today you are a fountain of um some really detailed knowledge so i really appreciate you coming um on on the podcast is there anything that um i didn't ask you uh, that i should have asked you ah this is it's one of the hardest questions i've had um (laughs) no do you know what i really i really don't think there is considering that that you know the, the the population that you work with. I think the and, and the people that listen as well. I think one of the I think one of the pieces here is that like effort. You know, when we're telling saying like minimal effective dose and things like that, like doesn't yeah. mean easy. And don't confuse like no. simple with easy. Um, like yeah. the simplest stuff with effort is where like you should be putting your time. And I, and I spoke to someone today and said like my training right now is probably 13 ex- different exercises across the course of a week, which okay. a lot of people think they need this huge variety. And cause the conversation I was having, yes. the, the girl said to me, Oh, but you know, you must know like this huge pool of exercises. And I was like, I, I do. I know thousands, but 
are you handful? Yeah. Because I know what are most yeah. effective. And I, I yeah. think that's, that's really the key is that like my uh, Dan, uh, Dan John is a phenomenal coach um, in, in the U S and a lot of my friends, like as someone, when you train like simple works, if you put in effort and you can't get yeah. bored, that's the, that's the key is that like, yeah. try not to seek entertainment through variety. Variety is, is good and there's different ways of doing it, but variety yeah. for the sake of it doesn't usually lead itself to good results. And it, no. it's staying with simple, simple and effective works. But again, you've got to put in that effort and that that's really the key. So yeah, in, in terms of questions, I don't know if there's one there, but yeah, don't get hung up in needing yeah. variety in the change for the sake of change. Put in the work with the basics and do, great things are going to happen. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that last sentiment because I think that as humans, as males, you know, we tend to love to go to the complicated and actually the most effective is the simple. Um, and, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. So once again, Adam, thanks very much for coming on the podcast today. How can people connect with you? You've got your own podcast called the empowered empowered body podcast how else can people connect with you yeah obviously the the podcast i have uh, on instagram i'm underscore adam willis and if anyone wants to, to reach out email me um adam at leanbodyperformance.co.uk is uh, the best place to get hold of me by email perfect all right adam thanks very much for for coming on the show and i'll look forward to speaking to you again soon Brilliant. thank you so much for, for having me on darren thanks for listening to the fitter healthier dad podcast if you enjoyed today's episode please hit subscribe and i would really appreciate if you could leave a review on itunes all the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com. 